Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. Whenever he entered a room, he would always go, yo, and everyone, everyone who talks about him kind of starts off their, their speeches, their memories with yo. For Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. This past June, a South Carolina family marked a somber anniversary. 20 years since they last saw their son, brother, and friend, 25-year-old Shelton Sanders, a college student who disappeared on June 19, 2001. We will not give up. We will keep going until all searches are completed. No stone left unturned. Joining us to talk about this case is Emily Carell, reporter with WLTX in Columbia, South Carolina. Emily, can I have you start by telling us about Shelton Sanders? Absolutely. So Shelton was one of four. He had um, two brothers and then a, a little baby sister. She calls herself his his baby sister. Um, he was not the oldest, the second to oldest. Um, they described Shelton as funny, um, smart. One of the things that really got me was um, one of the distinct things they remember about Shelton is whenever he entered a room, he would always go, Yo, and everyone, <laughs> everyone who talks about him kind of starts off their their speeches, their memories with yo. So, um, something fun to remember him by. But um, so his his younger sister, her name's Wilveria, and um, she says she remembers him as being the homemaker and teaching her how to cook and teaching her how to clean and always uh, making sure she was in line. You know, a family of four, I'm sure it gets hectic, but um, that's how how she remembers Shelton. And at the time of his disappearance, he was a USC student. He was commuting from Rembert, South Carolina, which is in Sumter County, to um, Columbia, downtown Columbia, where the University of South Carolina is. So where does this tragic saga begin for this family? What was it that happened 20 years ago? 20 years ago, um, Shelton was living at home in Rembert with his his parents. They have quite a, a large family home. And he was commuting to Columbia every day. Um, his mother, Peggy, says that he called her around 8.30 that night on June 19th, 2001, to tell her he'd be coming home a little late, which was not out of the ordinary. But Peggy says he never showed up. Um, he supposedly, you know, the story is he was out with a friend. Um, they were actually planning a, uh, bachelor trip for another, another friend. And, um, he just never came home that night. I miss him so much. And, uh, and it was so heartbreaking when we learned about his disappearance. Um, it was unbearable. I, I, um... I I just lost it. I just lost it. 
And he was last seen then in downtown Columbia, if I'm not mistaken. Do we know who he was with or where he might have been headed from there, if not home? Yes. Yeah, so um, it, the area of Columbia that he was in, it's called Olympia, and it is um, you know right near USC campus, downtown Columbia. There's a lot of um, homes down there. It, it was an, it's an old mill village, so there's um, big mill apartments where a lot of the students live. The younger um, back then, you know, the younger students lived there as well as now. And there's also homes back there. They, they're the state street homes. I'm not exactly sure if he was in one of the homes or, um, the apartments, but he was in the Olympia area. They said he was with a friend. The last person he was seen with was a friend named Mark Richardson. Yes. And, and, and they were downtown. He was with Mark Richardson. Shelton is reported missing not long thereafter. What do the early days of this investigation look like? And was there evidence at the time of foul play, at least as far as we know? So the only thing initially that came out of this was, you know, one, he was with his friend, Mark Richardson. Um, and they say that Richardson's neighbors heard three gunshots from his home that night. Um, according to reports, neighbors went over to Richardson's to see what happened, but Richardson told them that his car was backfiring. That night, Shelton never came home and his car was never found. That was um, another big thing. He had um, an Oldsmobile. It was never found uh, along with him. And so um, initial reports were three gunshots from Richardson's home, and that was it. So two years later, in 2003, at a Columbia apartment, um, they found Shelton's car. This is Sanders' car. It went missing the same night he did, and investigators found it two years later at a Columbia apartment. Evidence showed it had been there the whole time. And they believed that it had been there since his disappearance. And it was a 1988 Oldsmobile Regency. And so at this point, these first couple of years, are investigators treating this then as not just a missing persons case, but, but as a, a possible or likely homicide case? So it was, Sumter County deputies were officially investigating it um, as a missing person because that is where he lived. So in 2003, when the car was found in the Greenbrier Apartments in Northeast Columbia, which is a good 30, 35 minutes away from you know where he was last seen, um, Sheriff Leon Lott, who's still the sheriff, said at the time they upgraded the investigation from being a missing person, a missing person, to where they felt like it was a homicide. Now, that's not something you hear a lot. You know, they did not have a body. They never, they, they don't, didn't at this point. They didn't find his body. They only found his car. But they um, were confident then in calling it a homicide. Now, um, around the same time, you know, they had gotten the initial reports of gunshots from um, Mark Richardson's house. So they um, kind of had him, I don't know if he was officially a suspect, but they had him, you know, in the back of their mind. And then when they found the car, they traced phone records. And however that happens, they found that Mark Richardson's cell phone pinged at where the car was found when around the time Shelton went missing. So that's what they had um, to eventually arrest Mr. Richardson. Where do things go from there then after this friend Mark Richardson is arrested? 
on October 5th, 2005, now this is two years after the car was found and four years after he went missing, um, the solicitor's office was prepared to prosecute then 30-year-old Mark Richardson. He was arrested, charged with murder, taken to Richland County Jail. Um, and then I can I have some of what Leon Lott said back then, Sheriff Lott. He said just from statements Richardson had given them, witnesses who heard gunshots, the fact that they found the car where Mr. Richardson's phone pinged. These were all the reasons, along with him being the last person that Mr. Sanders was seen with when he was alive. These were all the reasons for why he was arrested. And then um, you have the deputy or the investigator who one of our other reporters really recently talked to. She said that he, Sergeant Walter McDaniels, he said that um, during the interview, Richardson said to him, how do, quote, how do I explain getting rid of a body? He said to me during our interview, uh, how do I explain getting rid of a body? I told him that we can explain getting rid of a body, that the family, the Sanders, just wanted their son back, the remains of their son. And then later on, um, he recalled that he told Richardson that the Sanders family just wanted their son back, the remains of their son. And he says at the time, he then put his head down and said, quote, I can't do that. I went to their house acting like I was going to help them. He then put his head down and he said, I can't do that. I went to the house acting like I was going to help them. There's absolutely no doubt um, from our standpoint that this, uh, this, uh, this victim, Shelton Sanders, met his demise by way of his friend, uh, Mark Richardson. It's in 2008 then that Richardson actually goes on trial for Shelton Sanders' murder. And by that point, Around seven years have passed, but even still, Shelton's body has not been located. And now a, a body's not required to convict somebody of murder. But I imagine that that detail at least complicated things for prosecutors in this case. What can you tell me about how the trial actually played out then in 2008? Absolutely. And, um, you know, you see this, if, if you allow me to go off for a second. Um, you know, we talked previously about Jessica Gutierrez. And, and you know, they're they're pretty confident. They know who kidnapped her and, and what happened to her, but they don't have a body. They don't have that evidence. So they're, they don't want to prosecute and then risk, you know, that the person they think did it going free. And that's kind of what we see here. Um, in this case in 2008, um, you know, the body was never found the two were friends, you know, all the things that we talked about. And there was also some witnesses that said that Richardson had expressed a desire to murder one of his friends, you know, all this stuff, but it wasn't enough. Um, the jury ended up being a hung jury at the end. Um, it was a vote of eight to four. So it was declared a mistrial and he was never convicted. It took a toll on us. So having closure and my brother being, you know, in the proper burial spot will bring more closure to us. So, you know, right now I'm just trying to, um, find his remains. And in effect, what that means is exactly what you said. He was not convicted, but also importantly, he wasn't acquitted either. A jury didn't find him not guilty of the crime, meaning he could at some point be retried for Shelton's murder, presumably. Has that happened to date? No, it has not. So the main thing, you know, recently I went to the 20th anniversary of Shelton Sanders' death. His family put it on at their family home. And what you hear the family saying now is, you know, it's been 20 years. They just want the body of Shelton. They forgave whoever did it. They 
don't care about that anymore. They just want him home and they want to put him to rest. I'm not going to stop until I find my brother's body. And I'm just asking for someone to just give us the remains. I don't, we're not looking for anything else out of this. Now, um, again, it's been 20 years. They have a pretty good idea of, of who might have done it. And he has never given up where his body is. So, you know, the, the family even has a $25,000 reward for anyone that can lead them to where Shelton's remains are. But that is just something that they haven't been able to get. And, and to me, listening to the family, my, my personal, you know, I feel if they were to find his body and maybe they would be able to try Richardson again, you know, with more evidence. But what I took from it is the family doesn't really care about that anymore. They just want Shelton home. Right. And it sounds like that is a big part of why they do continue to to hold these events. Of course, to to remember Shelton, but also to try to to keep this case in the public eye in the hopes that it'll spur new leads, that there'll be more information that comes in. Was that your impression being at this event with the family? Oh, absolutely. This The Sanders family has worked tirelessly to keep Shelton's name alive. Um, recently, before I even really knew about the case, I was driving down the road and saw a billboard with his face on it. You know, and it's had the hashtag finding Shelton Sanders $25,000 reward. And immediately I was like, what's that? That's interesting. And, um, they, they do things like this all the time. They have booklets that they, that they, uh, print. They have flyers. They have pens that say hashtag finding Shelton. I have one in my car right now. They have um, just all these little things to keep his name out there because unfortunately it's been 20 years, but this family has not had any closure and they are just searching for that closure. We'll be keeping an eye on this in the hopes that this family does get that closure. Emily Carell with WLTX in Columbia, South Carolina. Thanks for sharing this story. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Crime. For more on this case, you can check out Emily Carell's reporting at WLTX.com. If you're looking for more true crime, you can head over to VaultStudios.com for a full list of our shows, including our weekly podcast, True Crime Chronicles. That'll do it for this one. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reed Redmond.